Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Genesis chapter 15 verses 1. The Bible says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Elias of Damascus? And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born of my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And the Bible says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Somebody shout, Hallelujah. Now, we all know Abraham, or Abram, the man of God. He was in his father's house, Terah. The Lord appears to him and tells him, go to a place I'll show you. I'll make you great, your descendants. I'll make your name a great nation, and I will make you a blessing. He went. He reached Canaan pitched altars. The Lord revealed himself to him mightily. He saw the Lord. And um, the separation between Lot and him, through that again, God builds a very big experience for Abraham when he stays with God. And wealth was his, property was his, strength was his. By the time we come into the 14th chapter, Genesis, Abraham is subduing and overtaking kingdoms by the anointing and blessing that the Lord had placed upon his life. And he dismantles kingdoms. During that time, I believe he had taken over like uh, four kings and you know defeated them up square. But he tells them, I will not take your stuff, lest you say you made Abraham rich. Because he knew who he was before God and how his blessing was to come. But victory was his. So by the time we get into the 15th chapter, I love that it begins by saying, after these things, the word of the Lord came. In other words, there was already a prayer testimony uh, of Abraham. There was already a prayer experience on the life of Abraham that proved that truly the Lord was with him and the Lord was made up to use him, bless him, establish him, work for him and through him. Praise God. 
Now, many scholars, I have read many commentaries on Genesis chapter 15, but many people want to usually say that verse 1 is a continuation of chapter 14 in the mind and understanding that God was telling Abraham that even though he has taken over these kings and defeated his enemies, he should not worry about their return. And so God was telling him if they plan to return, then God is surely Abraham's shield and exceeding great reward. Yes, I think they are probably trying to give an impression or an explanation of something that clearly is hard to connect to the 15th chapter, but I don't think in my heart that that is the truth. God, I don't think so, because when you read the story of Abraham, Abraham was never afraid of his enemies. He was never afraid of them returning because he knows who ordained him for the victory over those enemies. Victory was always his. It was always in his docket. There was never evidence and proof in scripture that Abraham was really afraid of the coming back of enemies he had defeated by the hand of God. What I believe happens in Genesis 15, God begins a conversation with a man who he found thinking. Abraham was thinking. He was troubled in his soul. Why? Because he sees he's making wealth. He's amassing a lot of wealth. Many things are happening for him, praise God. But he does not have an heir. So he's thinking, I'm going to die with all this wealth, with all this responsibility that I have in the spirit, with everything that is happening in me and the relationship that I have with God and leave everything to a servant, Eliezer, which was okay because in Jewish culture, if you did not have a child, then you'd favor the first servant, right? The most favorite servant. In fact, the book of Proverbs says that if you raise up a servant in the right way, the Bible says when he grows up, he shall become a son. You know, and some of you bear witness that there are people you were raised with in your own family. Some were servants, some were maids, some were handmaids, some were, you know, they were not really directly related to them. But because they were raised in your father's house, they later became your brothers and sisters. You don't say that was our maid. No, you say that many of you now relate with such people as your own brethren and sisters. And so you become one of them. That's the essence of why it's important for you to separate simply servants in households and also bond servants. When Paul says, I'm a bond servant of Christ, it means I'm a servant by choice. How did one become a bond servant back in the day? When you served your time and your master said, you know what, you're mature, I want to release you. They bless you and give you some money and probably pray for you if they are believers. And they say, you know what, go your way and start your own family and build your own heritage. You're no longer enslaved to this household because we love you. You're like a son. And some servants would make up their minds and say, you know what, for us, we want to stay with you because you have treated us kind. We want to stay in this lineage and family. We don't mind serving. We are one with you. When a man made their decision to stay in spite of the freedom given them as a slave, that was a bond servant. Are you following me? So when Paul says he's a bond servant of Jesus Christ, he's not a forced servant of Jesus Christ. He's not somebody that they impute it on and push him into service. When you say service, some people look at themselves as slaves, right? Our servanthood in Christ is not slavery. It's a servanthood of freedom. Somebody shout hallelujah. And we by choice choose to be servants of God. There are people who can't identify themselves that way. They say, you're not a servant, you're a child. Don't be funny. That doesn't take away your childhood before God. It doesn't take away your nature, either technon or heos or nepios. 
That doesn't take away the divine nature in you. But servanthood means that even though I'm a son in the house, I could have enjoyed the privileges of sonship, and I still do take the privileges of sonship, right? But also in the same, I chose to serve in my father's house. Somebody shout hallelujah. So don't be disappointed that some people don't use the word servant. Or I'm not a servant in the house of God. Because they quote the scripture where Jesus says, for you are not uh, slaves or servants, but sons or friends. Yes, that is not in context of what we're talking about right now. Because then, before the death and resurrection of the Christ, everything defined as servanthood was slavery. Not only slavery, but bondage. But now we are free to be bond servants, right? Somebody shout hallelujah. Because the freedom in Christ released us from any form of slavery and servanthood. And so if we are to serve, it's by choice. It's not by force. Somebody shout hallelujah. So Abraham is troubled in his soul. And I believe God coming to him, telling him, fear not, I'm thy exceeding reward. Fear not, I am thy shield. Is trying to open his eyes to a certain reality of what really is in the heart of Abraham to fear. And I tell you, saints, as you grow in God, as when you become a believer, or even before, but more so when you become a believer, and then you start walking the life of salvation, one day you can wake up and look at certain things that have gone a certain way. And if you're not strong enough to understand the way of God, you might even lose your faith in God. There are things that will come. We already say in scripture, things that come on the account of the word. There are things that are in the should come. They're not even in the might come. There are things that are in the class of must happen. Okay? But the difference between you and the person who doesn't know God is your victory is a sure promise. The Bible says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. And the Bible says, and he maketh manifest the serve of his knowledge by us. He causes us. He always, and I love that word always. It looks small. But of course, it's thanks be to God who causes us. But he says, thanks be to God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. In other words, that coward always changed everything. God means that there is nothing on your line of attack that you won't come out of. Somebody shout hallelujah. It does not matter how bad it is. It does not matter how ugly it is. It does not matter how big it is. It does not matter how incurable it is. It does not matter how unchangeable it is. It does not matter how flipped it is. You understand? Because you can go through things and men look at you and say, that one is gone. But thanks be to God. Who always causes us to triumph. The attitude to grow in your spirit, to always know that yes, things can come, but it doesn't matter how bad it is, I will go through. You wake up with that conviction that I will go through. It doesn't matter how bad it is. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ, which strengthens me. Somebody shout hallelujah. So yeah, yeah, things happen. The patriarch, our father, Abraham, his wife can't have a child. 
He's not less a man of God. And they that we, they which have children are not more of men of God. Are you hearing me? It, that has no bearing with the relationship the man has with God. But this is a man getting so frustrated in his spirit and he honestly starts to fear. He starts to pray. He starts to meditate. He starts to think. But he has a very troubled heart because he's thinking, I need a seed. I need a seed. I need a child. Praise God. Now, the scriptures tell us that God tells him, <laughs> the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him that this Eliezer shall not be thine heir. Now, it's important for you to see that when the Bible says the word of the Lord came unto him saying, that was the first time in the history of scripture that we saw God speaking to a man through the word of speech. The word came to him. Praise God. It's important for you to note. There are five ways that the Lord reveals his will to humankind. And those constitute to the mystery of his will. But there are five ways that God reveals um, his will to humankind. There is many people who struggle to know the will of God. But in one of those five, um, the voice, the word spoken, God delivering uh, his message through a man spoken directly is one of those five. And this was one of the experiences that Abraham had. We believe that in this instance he had an audible voice. Somebody shout hallelujah. But in the hearing of audible voices, in the class of where God, the word of the Lord comes to you, usually, not always, 100%, but usually, even scripture would prove that if you start searching. Many times when God comes and gives a word, either spoken, right? And then he speaks a word or he says a word or he sends a word saying. And then you receive a message through words, okay? Some of you don't know that the Bible you read, some of the scriptures there are spoken word, the spoken word of God, right? And I tell people that when a vision like that, when, when God usually sends audible voices or words of speech to you as a prophetic pro proclamation or a sort of establishment of a promise towards your life, usually he follows it with emblematic experiences. What is an emblem? An emblem is a physical representation of an abstract idea. You understand? An idea that is not seen. Right? You understand what an emblem is? The emblem of our country. Eh? It is a physical representation of the spirit and soul of a nation. But if I tell you, show me the soul and the spirit of this nation, you don't know. But that is simply the physical manifestation of the spiritual or the unseen, the abstract ideas, right? So in this instance, God gives him a physical, a visible symbol. And then he tells him, go outside, okay? And then he tells him, look into the stars. And he tells him, for as many as you have seen, such shall be your descendants. He told him, if you're able to count the stars, then you'll be able to count your descendants. But if you're not able to count the stars, then you're not able to count your descendants. 
Somebody shout hallelujah. So usually when God sends a vo- an audible voice, many times he'll want to send emblems for you to connect such that you don't lose the bigger picture of the vision that is trying to imprint on your spirit. If these emblems are not clear, many of you or many of us receive from the realm of how we understand the word he has spoken, not necessarily from the realm of how he understands the word he has spoken upon your life. That is important. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's important to understand from the direction he understands you, from the direction he is speaking. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, this man says, I go childless and I have no seed. Now the Hebrew word therefore, seed is zerah, which could mean seed, which could mean, you know, uh, sperm of a man that is able to produce a child, which also could mean, and I love that in the definitions, it also carries the line of seed time, right? Sowing time, right? Now, the Bible says in, in Genesis that for as long as the earth remaineth, okay, as long as the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, the Bible says these shall never cease. You know the meaning of that? It means that when you look at Cold and heat, those are elements on the earth. When you look at summer and winter, those are elements on the earth. When you look at night and day, those are elements of the earthly. When it talks about seed time and harvest, that's a different realm. That's why I said, but the law of exchange uh, works in the principle of seed and harvest. What people see is a harvest. What people don't see is the seed. What many of you hold in your hands to plant is a seed, but it's only a seed because you hold the body of that seed. When you look at a bean seed or any other seed or any pea seed, any seed in the world, many people think that what you see there, what you hold is the seed. You call it the seed, but it's not the seed, right? Like when you're walking and they say, oh, that's Rogers, but that's not really Rogers. That's Rogers in his body. If he comes out, his body is separated from him. But when people look at that body, they can think that they're seeing Rogers because usually that body is an embodiment of it carries Rogers within. Now, when the Bible says that every seed bears its own body, it was that God giveth his body as it has pleased him to every seed his own body. It means that what you see, that bean, that crop, is not really the seed. Are you following me? What you really see is a body and inside the seed, the life of the seed is in there. You get it? That is why if somebody wants to kill a seed, you know what it does? You can cook it a little. You don't even need to turn brown and melt, right? It can still look fresh, but inside it is cooked. If heat comes on that seed, it can kill the life within. And you can have two seeds that almost look familiar, but one has life within it, and the other one does not have life. It is dead. What happens when you plant a dead seed? Hey, what happens when you plant a dead seed? Yes, it does not grow. You know why it does not grow? Because the life of a seed is within the seed in itself. In fact, God does not need the body of a seed to grow a seed. 
He only needs the body of the seed to preserve the life in the seed. But he does not need the body of the seed to grow the seed. Did you understand what I just said? That is why they say every seed truly must die. But what is the real issue of the seed dying? In the real science of things, really, is that when it's put in the ground, the body starts to what? To give way. And as the body starts to die, flesh, the life within that seed starts to spring out. Eh? In primary, we used to call it a plumule. Hello, Sharaba. Praise God. That thing that comes out of the seed, that is the real seed. Somebody shout hallelujah. But when the Bible says, speaks of seed time, Abraham is not only saying that I don't have a seed. He's saying I don't have seed time. I don't have the opportunity in the spirit to preserve my posterity in line with the purpose and the assignment of God in the bigger picture of things. Who has understood what I mean by that? Let me explain so more so you understand what I mean. Abraham did not just want a child. Abraham was not just believing God for a son to be heir of his household. Of course, that's what many people think because that's what is read on the onset of things. But when we get to a place of seed time, right, you realize that there was an essence of harvest. When you evoke seed time, there must be a place of harvest. And when it comes to harvest, it's no longer a personal transaction. It's no longer just a man of God trying to get a child. No, it is deeper than that. It is a place where through the extension of my seed, God wants to draw himself a harvest. Who has understood what he has said? God wants to draw himself a what? A harvest. Now, Abraham was not just asking for a child. He was just, just asking for a son. But he had started to see the responsibility, right, of fathering a generation, the responsibility of the anointing God had placed on his life and the assignment God had ordained in that time, but that was going to affect the whole world and the future as it is. And he's feeling something inside him and he's saying, if this thing, if I get to the end of my life, how will this thing be continued when I hand this over to Eliezer of Damascus? He was looking to have a son that will preserve not only the posterity of his lineage, but also that through whom God would continue the story of what he's trying to do on the earth. Because not everybody on the earth is really in the active participation of God's continued purpose on the face of the earth. Some people are simply victims in the story. Some are simply specimens in the story. Some are simply hypotheses in the story. Some are simply ideas in the story. Some are simply, there's a word I want to use, but I, let me not use it, I'll offend. But some are in darkness. They're not even part of the story at all. They, their souls are in the other world. You understand? So, when we're talking about the preservation of that lineage, but more so that the purposes of God will continue 
through the man and his generation. He's talking about the parent, the believer, the person who intends to raise a child, but your heart tells you, God, I have served you to this far. I pray that as I leave and finish my race one day, that my children shall be a continuation of what you have placed on me, but more than that, in their own times, that they shall be relevant to the will, to the purposes, to the assignment of God in the general idea of things. Somebody shout hallelujah. If you look at John Hege, now, how many of you know the preacher John Hege? Yes. John Hege is about, in the, is about the 43rd, the 42nd or 43rd of generations serving God. He can go 44, 45 generations back of serving God. And when you look at John, you can clearly see that his son Matthew is surely a well-placed entity in the preservation, not only of his posterity as a generation that serves God, are you hearing me? But also you can see that he's He's already entered into the zone of the move and assignment of what God is up to on the earth. You can see that Matthew Hege is not just an average preacher. His countenance has been exposed to the world already. His voice print has already gone abroad the world. The media of this world already listens to the young boy. His father set the principle and the standard as it was set in generations before but you can surely see that God has continued his work through a family lineage that is what Abraham was asking for that's the thing he tells Timothy that I see the faith which was in your grandmother the faith which is also in your mother Eunice which faith is in thee also you realize that when that comes onto Timothy Paul gets attention and he says, this is the boy to work with because he's a preservation of three great generations. Timothy's father was detached. He was a Greek. He was not a, his lineage was not preserved through the man, but his lineage, the lineage of the anointing was preserved through women. So this, this again tells you that it is not necessarily a man thing. God can preserve generations of service on your life as a woman. You can actually set it and say that from today, every seed that has come out of me or is going to come out of me, it shall serve God and the generations to come. And God will honor your prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, every parent listening to me, or those of you who are planning to be parents, that God will help you understand that you just don't need a child. Or you, you just don't have children. That something will form up in your spirit. You see, you see Joel Austin and John Austin Sr. It's a clear preservation. Is John Austin's ministry relevant in 2019? Yes, it is as it was relevant, the ministry of John Austin, his father, in the 70s. You can see that generations are serving God. Are you hearing me? And may that reality manifest in every house and home of everybody listening to me. That may your children's 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 children, may your lineage serve God a certain way in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. So this is what he was talking about. He's saying, I want there's something that is going to be passed on. There is something I believe that does not end with me. That is why later when the Lord gives him Isaac, the scriptures say, and God told him, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. 
You see that? In other words, that in this man, not any other person, but in this son of yours, are you hearing me? Not Ishmael, but in this particular one, I want to preserve the lineage of serving. That is why later, Isaac too picks it. Are you hearing me? Picks the same anointing. And that's the thing that falls onto Jacob. You see what I'm trying to tell you? And so that is why they call him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because Isaac in Jacob, in Abraham, there was altars built. But part, and again, if I can talk about that, just in the realm of altars, many of you will understand how to build generational altars. Because you need to know how your children should serve God. A wise man, the Bible says, uh, keeps an inheritance, right? For his children and his children's children. At least you ought to be able to affect the next three altars of your generation, your time, your children's time, and your grandchildren's time. Such that when your children take over, they are preserving their children and their children's children. But by the time they're dealing with their own children, they're dealing with their own children to a certain degree as the Lord has dealt with them through the altar that you built. So he's that generational God. He's that generational God. When you understand that, you will not see devil worship in your lineage ever, ever, ever your children will not be in the deceived they will not be in the in the in the sorceries they will not be in the drugs they will not be in the deceptions of the world people look at your lineage and all your children are just like that you will not bury your children to the drugs that kill the world, to the diseases that kill the world, to the deceptions that kill the world. All your children are blessed. That is why I tell people, even before you conceive, start talking on your seed. Even when you conceive, don't stop talking on your seed. Even now that you have children, go. I still tell mothers and fathers, when your child is asleep at night, Go and speak into his ear and tell him, Robert, you are called for greatness. There's a seed on your life that God has aligned for you to change this world. You will not be an average child. You cannot fail. You can't die early. Nothing can kill you. In the name of Jesus, you will not give in to wine and deception. You will not get the wrong woman. You will not marry the wrong kind. You speak into their lives while they are still younger. That is your responsibility. Nobody else's. Somebody shout hallelujah. The Bible says raise up a child in the way they should go. Should. When they're still children, it's a should. It's not might, please do. No, it's a should. There's a way they have to go. They have to go. There's a certain direction your children have to be. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? So this is an affair. People say, oh, nation, we need this nation. Let me tell you. Let's raise godly children. You won't need to worry about the government and what is in corruption. No, no. Let's raise a certain kind of children. Let those children tomorrow enter this government. You'll see. You'll see. You'll see. Somebody shout hallelujah. For me, I'm doing my part. I'm raising you. Me, I'm doing my part. Hallelujah. I'm doing my what? My part. I'm preaching the gospel every day. I'm teaching you the way you should go. Somebody shout hallelujah. I'm doing my job already. But you see, 
No parent at the sound of my voice will lose their child. That one I decree it again in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat it because some of you have just taken it lightly. No parent at the sound of my voice will lose their child in the name of Jesus Christ. Our children are going to serve God until the end. Hallelujah. Our grandchildren are preserved in the mighty name of Jesus. Our great-great-grandchildren are preserved in the name of Jesus Christ. You're not going to lose sleep over your kids on drugs and alcohol. If they are visited there, the Lord brings them out in the name of Jesus Christ. If they've messed up, they end today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. So that is exactly what Abraham was asking. The opportunity, seed time, to preserve himself a posterity that extends his lineage of blood, but also preserves the gospel through serving God. So in Isaac, the seed was called. Somebody shout hallelujah. And then you start to see God placing a heavy demand on the seed which is called. And in James, he's telling us he was actually dealing with a mystery of faith. He was trying to establish a certain place of faith in the man. And the scriptures tell us in James 2.20, But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And the Bible says, was not, just, was not Abraham our father, uses the word our father, justified by works. Now, I want you to note, Paul says, was, James says, was not Abraham our father. He owns the Abrahamic, right? Justified by works when he had offered up Isaac, his son, upon the altar. You start now to see that the seed in which God is calling for the preservation of the posterity of the generation and the continuation of the assignment of purpose on the earth. Isaac, the son, we start to see him, God telling him, take Isaac, your son, your only son. Now, of course he had Ishmael, but the Bible recognizes Isaac as his only son. He didn't tell him the remaining one. No, he tells him, take Isaac, your son, your only son. Are you hearing me? Get into the land of Moriah. He tells him, Offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Now, God is taking this man into spaces he doesn't understand. Like many of us here are asking, why am I taking the seed in which my posterity is going to be called? And why is God demanding that I take it to the altar? Because again, the life of the seed can only come out when the seed is dead. No seed really lives until it dies. No life of seed comes out except the body is dead. So he's telling him this is a seed principle. If you're talking about a seed, it must go to the altar. Now when I talk about seed, some of you only think about money because you've been raised in communities and ministries that only understand seed as money. (laughs) Somebody's out fire. So anyway, sowing is more than just money. It's deeper than money, right? Money is part of it. But it's deeper than money. So, we see the seed of faith being taken to the altar. 
for a sacrifice. Are you hearing me? Now what people don't know is Abraham killed his son. Isaac left that altar dead. Abraham left that altar dead. That was the work of faith. (laughs) Are you hearing me? That was the true work of faith. Because if he told him kill, and he stretched his hand to kill, he was going to kill, it means his heart killed. Do you understand what I'm saying? But then the exchange takes place. You see the man, his son is telling him, I see the wood, I see the stones, but I don't see the sacrifice. My son, God shall provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Provide himself a lamb. Oh, himself a lamb. He will provide himself a lamb. Are you hearing me? Now he's trying to give you the picture of Christ later as he comes as the lamb of God, which was what? Crucified for our sins. The propitiation of our sins was upon him. Here, right now, as I'm speaking, we are in the middle of the mystery of the person of Christ and his ministry on the earth. Don't lose this. Much as I'm in the Old Testament, I'm trying to give a certain typification of the way of God when he's dealing with the person of Jesus Christ, when he comes now in the form of a man in the likeness of a servant, or in the likeness of a man in the form of a servant. Now, Every seed has to die at the altar. That its life will come through because the altar is the ground. It was as though it was planted. Now when you read scriptures that like he that is planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in his courts. You cannot be planted if you don't have an identity. If you, do, you can't die on the altar. Church is not just a place you go to on Sunday and Thursday. Respect the altar. Understand that that's where I feed from. This is where God connects to me. You see, some of you, that's why you are so stuck. Because you deal with service, Fanero. Like, yeah, they preach very nice things when I'm troubled. When I have problems, you always tell me things that give me answers. That's how some of you see ministry. That's why some of you come to church. Oh, I have problems. Let me go and pray. I'm a Christian. I love. You see, until you understand why God led you here, there are many churches you could have been into. But he led you here. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Learn how to respond to the instruction of the altar. Learn how to honor the altar. Learn how to clean the altar. Learn how to consecrate the altar. Learn how to deal with the thing that... The moment you understand that, you will never want any good thing because the blessing is on the altar. We die on the altar also. Be dead to the altar. Apostle, what do you mean? Let me leave it for you to figure out. Are you hearing me? But treat a certain way. An altar, if you know the God on it speaks to you. If you know that God on that altar speaks to you. Count your cost and understand your sacrifices. Because in every seed that is called, there will always be a sacrifice on that altar. It will always be there. 
Now, I know many of you don't understand what I mean because the gospel now is commercial. Not only that, the gospel has been, people play the things of God. Here today they are here, tomorrow they are there, tomorrow they pray, tomorrow they don't, tomorrow they in, tomorrow they are out, you plead with them, please do this. You see, and that's the person who thinks they're going to go to God and God is going to take them serious. No, he will not. No, he will not. Why? Because you don't understand the power that speaks to you. Let me tell you, I'm not boasting, but this is the truth. Because these things God spoke to me long ago. I might sound, you know, boastful, but it's not. It's the truth. There are things you hear on this altar you have never read anywhere. You have never heard on a CD. You'll never read in a book. You're going to hear them for the first time. And I'm sure many of these things, the world will hear them for the first time. Now, I'm not boasting, you know, no. I know what God put on my life. I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. Just give us a few years. <laughs> Just give us a few years. Somebody shout hallelujah. You being part as a first recipient on this altar means that every grace that happens in this ministry comes upon you. You must understand that. The Bible says that we have an altar from which they don't have the right to eat of, but you have the right because your sons and daughters in the ministry. You might not be a preacher, but if you're a business person, God will do things out of you that no business has ever seen. If you're an engineer, God will create and innovate out of you something that the world has never seen before, and it will leave an indelible mark in the history of this generation and the generations to come if Christ is not yet back. Shout amen if you believe it! But I tell you, not many understood us. Not many understood us. Not many understood us. Not many understood the gift we are to this generation. They, many men will never know. Many will never know. But over the years, they will see. Many of them will understand because there are people who look just at the results outside. Oh, numbers came, adversary people came, but that's nothing. Even if we are touched too. Are you hearing me? We know what God placed upon us. You see, Paul cannot have a confidence to say, I have laid the foundation. Nobody can dig deeper. A man can't say that I thank God because I speak in tongues more than you all. You'd ask, but Paul, have you gone through everyone to know how many tongues they speak? Let me tell you. There is a confident affirmation that a man of God can tell you because he has walked in God enough to tell you. That's why I'm saying, how do you know? I am telling you the things you'll hear on my altar. You might never read or hear any man speak them the way I speak them. Now you will, you will never understand it again because again, I know that many of you are so far from the reality because you hear the word and it can connect to a certain man who speaks like me. Yes, but he will never go where I go. You get my point, eh? And over the years, that distinction will become clearer to some of you. Again, I'm not boasting. I want you to understand because if I'm to open up and tell you the real things I've seen, I promise you there are things God spoke to me years ago. And those ones, I'll speak them when I'm almost 
finishing my ministry because if I speak them now, they will offend or they will not be understood. Or some will say, hey, that's boasting. Oh, I don't think God spoke. But you see, let the results speak. Let the fruit speak. Just give it time. Just give it time. Just give it time. And, 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 and some of you don't know that you woke up and came for service today, but you don't know where you're going after service. You don't know where you're going, where God is going to take you in this service. You're going to go a place that you didn't even think that on a Sunday morning God was going to take you. Why? Because God intends to put a distinctive mark on each one of you. Somebody shout hallelujah. You'll sing songs in ways men have never sung them. You'll teach things in ways no man can dig out. The other day I was talking with someone and someone was telling me, you know, every time I look at your pastors in Fanero, I see that all of them have a part of you, but each one of them has their own distinction in how they minister. You get it? And I say, that's it. That you see they all connect in this guy. But when they start walking in their own way, you start to see that they also have their own distinction. That is quite different from everybody. Because God wants to give you your own. He wants to put something on you that this is you. Yes, it's connected to the man, but this is you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. So when Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all, how did you know Paul? Who told you? you that's now you see such pride. But he speaks in tongues. Are you always there to know who speaks in tongues or who doesn't? No. We are in those who by judgment and knowledge can examine. We can approve excellence. We can know that I speak in more tongues than you. Some of us are in that authority. We just don't insert or exert it on men. But we know. We can judge matters and know that this one can pray, but they will never pray beyond a certain level and degree of the spirit. Yes, they can pray longer. They can pray longer. They can pray for more days than I, but they can never pray, pray in the authority and degree under which I pray. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? That's what when Paul tells you that I speak in more tongues than you all, you don't need to believe him, but he does. He does. Later on when they get into Corinthians, when he says, even though you speak in tongues of men and angels, that some of them is even the first time to realize that there is a tongue to the angelics. They didn't even know that there was a tongue to the angelics. When a man tells you it's a small thing for you to judge me because I know nothing of myself. This is Paul telling you, you cannot be at the level to judge the anointing. You can't. Even if you think you can't. You can't. Because you don't know who anointed me. You don't know what's upon my life. You just hear words spoken. I'm not boasting, but that's the reality. You just hear words spoken and you think some people, it's easy to dig. You dig it. Dig one someone. Just dig one. You'll understand that it's not easy to dig. Dig one. And then listen to men who have spoken this for 10 years, 20 years, and every other day, something new is coming out of their spirit. You don't just get that thing and think, that you can just open your mouth and attack it and speak about it. No! You're fighting the God who knew that in spite of everything, he still anointed that one, not you. So, when Paul says it's a small matter for you to judge me, he knows where he's speaking from. That's why I feel sorry for certain people who can say, oh, you can't. 
you're not in the level to judge what's upon my life. You can try. But it's only a matter of time. You'll be placed where you belong. Praise God. And it's not boasting. I'm not scaring you. Hey, sir, shouldn't we talk? No, you talk. You talk. But there is a level you'll never reach in God. Let's give it years. 20 years, 15 years. I'll still be preaching. I'll still be serving God. Because I know how far. So when Paul says it's a small thing to judge me, it doesn't mean that we, we are not accountable to God or that that means we can do anything because we are men of God. No. No true man of God can do that. But he's only saying, I'm not in your class to judge. You're not here. You understand? You're not here. Now, this is Paul speaking. This is Paul speaking. Those sound like proud words, but they're not proud words at all. Listen, they're not proud words at all. They're not proud words at all. He knew what he drank. Now, Abraham has taken this and is telling us this is the work of faith. Now in Galatians, he comes and tells you, he that giveth the spirit to you, five, three, five, and worketh miracles among you. He says, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now he's telling us that when God is talking about faith without works, he's dead. He's not talking about the works of the law. He's talking about the works of faith. And one of the primary work of faith is the hearing of faith. That's the primary one. Then you go into the others, like the one which I've just mentioned, uh, of killing the seed at the altar. That is secondary, and there are many other ways of the works of faith. The primary one is a hearing of faith. That's why I tell people, every time you're in a state and stuck, and you say, you know what, God, I want to build my faith, I want to grow in something, always look for a faith someone. Because the hearing of faith is a work. Get a faith someone, put it in your car, put it in your house, put it in your bedroom, and tune it and listen. Are you hearing me? And I tell people, be an active listener. Meditate on everything spoken and matter because meditation matters. M-U-T-T-E-R. It speaks. Are you hearing me? If in the sermon they are speaking and then you hear a man of God proclaim and say, you will not fail. Say, I will not fail. Are you hearing me? When in a sermon a man of God says, you are a wonder. Say, Yarabakota. I am a wonder. Confirm what is affirmed in the spirit. When a man of God proclaims and says, you're going far. Say hallelujah. I am going far. Praise God. Don't just say amen, but hallelujah. Proclaim it. That means you're sealing a confirmation of what is affirmed in the spirit upon your life. Be an aggressive receiver. Be aggressive when you're receiving. Don't just, I receive it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. No. Rakatalekeye. So the hearing of faith, as you exercise yourself to the hearing of faith, you're going to be amazed at how easily things... That's why many people sit in services every time, but they don't see the results of service. Because truly, they don't even know how to receive. Receiving means you must be an aggressive receiver. Even if you're a humble person, when it comes to receive. Don't play. Don't play. Don't play. If you believe the altar, God speaks. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. There was a time I stood on a Thursday and I said, there are people here 
who are going to enter businesses that they never started. One week later, a woman came and told me somebody gave her a business of millions of dollars the next week, that very week. You think the word I spoke was somebody just gave her a multi-million dollar business in Kampala. Because you said, no, uh, we are making a lot of money, but we feel we need to release this business. It's profit making, but we have a lot to do. They signed everything to her. She became a multi-millionaire in just one service. And there are same people who are listening. Hallelujah, amen, praise God. And they're still normal. That very week, another one came and told me, somebody came and handed me over their business. That very week, another one came and said, somebody gave me a show. That very week, there are people during that week. What does that tell you? Why does a man of God proclaim something and somebody gets a business they didn't invest into and you're the same person in the meeting on the same altar and it does not work for you because you don't know how to aggressively take. There's a woman, she had a back problem for many years. We're going to visit her. Many, many years. And then after service, I point in an area and I say, there's a woman there with a very bad back problem. God is healing you. The woman said, she said, it has to be me. She didn't say, I receive, I hope it's me. No, she said, that one, Father, it has to be me. She said, from then on, she has never had back problems. But she testified and said that over those years, the problem was so bad that sometimes she would crawl on the ground like a baby, unable to walk normally like a person should. She would need painkillers to walk. Same proclamation. But one man knows how to aggressively, when the Bible says the violent, take it. Do you realize it is taking? The violent, take it by force. When you have to be humble in the things of God, be humble before people. But when it comes to receiving. <laughs> Oh, be humble in many of those things, but when it comes to a word spoken, say God that one, eh? That's mine. Be crazy. Be crazy until you see it manifest. Somebody shout hallelujah. So in Galatians, he asks, he that ministereth you the spirit, worketh miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the Lord, by the hearing of faith. And the next verse says, even, now he has brought us back to James as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as what? As righteousness. And the next line says, know ye therefore. Do you remember why James says, our father Abraham? Now he says here in Galatians 3, 7, he says, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. They are not Abraham, they are the children of Abraham. That means we are the sacrifice on the altar. So he says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. How can you sacrifice without an altar? The completion of your faith can only come through. That's why James says, and the sacrifice of Isaac, the Bible says, was a perfection of the faith that Abraham had toward God. He says, seest thou how faith wrought with works, and by works was faith made perfect? He knows that faith cannot be perfected if the seed does not die on the altar. 
Are you following what I'm trying to tell you? If the seed does not die at the altar, search out. You go search. You'll be amazed at what God is speaking to you concerning the mystery of faith. You understand that no true faith can come without true death. You cannot believe God until you die a certain way. And some of you are too alive to believe. <laughs> You're too alive to believe, to believe. How do I know? You are so sensitive to what people think, what the world thinks, how things will work out, whether it will work or it doesn't. You're too sensitive to what you have, what you don't have. Everything is so carnal. But when you learn to die, when you understand what it means to die, you will believe as dead women and men. You will pray as dead women and men. You will give as dead some of you give as people who are alive. You pray as people who are alive. You sacrifice, you serve as people. Then in the service they offend you. Then you stop serving as a person because that person annoyed you. I'm not going to ask her anymore. How can mama talk to me that way? Because mama shed her blood for you. <laughs> Respect the altar. Okay, if you don't agree with her, do you agree with the altar? Yes, serve it. If you don't agree with the altar, look for another one you can serve. But don't play in the things of God. There are people I am sure are still stuck and will be stuck for a long time because when I enter their brain, I even see the end of when they will finally understand and they will be about 50 or 60. I, some I know. It's not... I know. I tell you because I know. I know what I'm telling you. Because to die means you're going to humble yourself so much for God to deal with you. And there are people who are too proud for God to speak to them a certain way. You understand what I'm saying? But I want to finish. Now, why does he take Abraham and give him an emblem, a visible representation of the abstract vision? Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 in the Amplified, this is the last I'll read and then we'll get out of here. He says, now, Amplified version, he says, now, to him who by, in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, listen, it's already in you. It's in you. Are you hearing me? He said, is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly far over and above. Somebody say far over and above. Say far over and above. Say far over and above. Say it again and say far over and above. He said he's able to do far over and above all that we do. Dare ask. I love that you use the word dare. I'm talking of a prayer that you, even when you start praying, you feel it's there in your spirit. It is too crazy to ask. In other words, we're not talking about the prayers that are easily prayable. We're talking about the things that even hell would say, I dare you. Even men of God would tell you, I dare you. Even the world says, I dare, I really dare you if you can believe God for that. He says he's able to do for all we dare to ask 
or think. He says he's infinite beyond, infinitely beyond our highest prayer. Now make the highest prayer. And he tells you, uh-uh, the thing I've put in you is bigger than the highest prayer you could ever make. Okay, desire. The thing I've put in you is bigger than the biggest desire you could ever have. Okay, think big. Think big, okay. I'm able to do far over and above all that you think. Okay, hope. You give me the greatest hope. Tell me, I hope to be the richest man in the face of the world. Okay, I'm going to do far above and over and tells you even your dreams. I have a dream of doing this. Okay. Can we get to that craziest idea you've ever had? Yes. He says the thing is I do. Superabundantly goes far over and above all you could ever dream. He's trying to tell you even in the wildest idea. Firstly, we are still in the realm of daring men to believe big. God is not in that realm. God is in the realm of to the biggest you've dreamed. I'm ready to do far above. To the biggest you've thought. I'm ready to do far above. To the biggest you've prayed. I'm ready to do far above. To the biggest you've hoped. I'm ready to do far above. To the biggest you've desired. I'm ready to do far over and above. Super abundantly. And the man is telling God. I need an heir. I need a man to take over. He tells him, you don't see. Come. Come to where I'm at. Look at those stars in the sky. Can you count them? He tells him, no. He says, your descendants are there for you asking for an heir. Uh-uh. I don't want to give you an heir. Even in your worst weaknesses, I want to be your greatest strength. Even in your biggest need, I want to be your overflowing story. Even in your biggest desire, I want to be your biggest superabundant answer. I don't want to give you a child. I want to give you a history. I want to give you a posterity. I want to give you a story. I just don't want to give you a child. You need a child. But that's not what I need for you. For you, I need to give you everybody that will come after you that should believe on my name. Father of many nations, when I came to you under the house of your father Terah and I told you follow me I will make you a great nation you thought that I was only going to make you a great nation in your time no that was you thinking let the optics of your spirit be enlarged to understand that I didn't want to give you a son look at the stars in the sky for as many as they are count the sand on the sea if you can count them then you'll be able to number your children but if you can't number the stars you will never know how much is for you if you can't number the sand on the seashore that is exactly what I'm trying to do exceedingly abundantly about that which you dare to ask or think That is why the voice, when the word of the Lord comes to you and God says, this year is the year of faith. Tell God, give me the emblem of what you call faith. When they say, God, this season 
is giving grace to you. Tell God, give me the vision and picture of what you mean by grace. Not what I think is grace, but what you really mean by grace. When you say that this year I'm increasing you, tell me increase to detail. Says that when I'm praying, I pray as I see, not as I understand. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Because many of us, when the word comes, we see from here. God is calling you to see from the God life. He's calling you to see from the God realm. He's telling you, I know you're believing God for health, but you don't understand what I mean by health. Come here and understand what I mean by health. You don't understand what I mean by joy. Come here and I show you what I mean by joy. You don't understand what I mean by prosperity. Come here and see. It will always be far over and above all that you dare to ask as a man. And you tell me, Apostle, what if my dream and vision is so big? And I'm telling you, darling, it can't be bigger than what God has seen for you. Maria Woodworth Etta, the revivalist, the Lord told I'm going to use you. And the story of God's general says in a story that one night as she was sleeping, she stood before cornfields and there were many corn leaves eh? and they were all spread across a vast land. They were uncountable. And in that dream, Maria Woodworth Etta says, she saw the wind of the spirit right she saw herself i believe raise her hands and as she raised her hands the cornfields all of them bowed in the direction of the wind of the spirit maria oldworth etta was sending maria did not know at first that god was talking to her about her personal ministry until the time she starts ministering the story is said that she used to raise her hands and men 10 five kilometers would get slain by the power of the holy spirit and they would carry dead bodies people slain bodies to her meetings are you hearing me and she would do meetings of tens of thousands of people men as many as you could not count because god had to give her an emblemic picture of what he was telling her when he told her that I've anointed you. Same as I. There are things I saw when I just finished university. I saw things, like I said, those, some of which I will share towards the end of my life because they were too much for me. They were so big for me. I asked God, at this for me, God, could you use a Ugandan like this? Could you use a black-skinned man like this? Could you really? Not because I doubted that God can, but it was too much. It could not fit in the faculties of everything I'd ever seen on a man preaching and ministering in the history of church. I had to ask God, where is this going? I don't need to be believed by men. I just need to believe God when he shows me. Paul in his late life, when he was about to go, he hit the place I pray all of us hit. He says, I'm now already about to be sacrificed. Now, in the first instance of his death, he was a sacrifice on the altar to be used of God. In his old life, there's a secondary line of sacrifice 
where his life, now not him as a man, but his life, his ministry is about to be poured out as a drink. He was in the overflow of his ministry. He got to a level where his cup was overflowing that anything that touched him would flow easily to the generations to come when he is long gone. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul departed from the flesh long ago, but his life is still present with us. I just quoted these scriptures and the spirit of God is moving. That is true proof that God can walk through you beyond your existence on the earth. God can minister through you beyond your existence on the body. May these days come to pass. May it be manifested and shown and revealed fully in your life that may God put something on your spirit that even when you're gone 10 years, 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, if Christ is not yet back, your life will be poured out as a drink offering, as a sacrifice for men to read about the God you believe and still believe your God. just believe to change generations now believe to change generations to come believe to change generations of your children believe that if Christ is not yet back in a thousand years your sermons will be preached your ministry will continue your business will bless the world your education will have an effect like Albert Einstein invented the fear of relativity and it's still a effect. yours will not be a theory Yours will be a truth. Yours will be a truth. I say yours will be a truth. That's what they call the overflow of the spirit. Come on, pray. 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 Pray.
Come on, pray. La 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 ba kasara la ba. Raza karara la 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 ba. Destinies are being defined. Lives are being changed. Ele 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 bo. Sarah, 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 Sarah,
Father, we thank you. Just thank you. Just thank you. Oh. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for your instruction. Thank you, Holy Spirit. you're here and you've never given your life to Christ and hearing the words that have been spoken tonight you feel like you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior repeat these words after me say Lord Jesus I have heard your word I believe in my heart that you died for my sins and was raised for my glory tonight I receive you as the son of God who gave his life for me you are Lord and Savior of my life Amen The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International for more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Finero, make manifest.